Have you ever experienced dynamics in relationships wherein you felt clouded with confusion, gripped with fear or anxiety, or felt drained of all physical and even emotional strength? Along with these dynamics, have you ever thought, this is bizarre? Welcome to freedom, becoming fully alive. Let's pray. Lord, we do commit this time to you, Lord. We pray you'll give clarity here today. You'll give us ears to hear, eyes to see, and you'll move on our hearts to respond to thee, because you're the one, Lord. You're the one. This is all about you. Lord, we just pray that you'll uh, just cover this time with your blood, that you will encourage every heart, and that this will be such a life-giving time today, and you'll take away the veil so we can really see what's been going on, not just in the physical realm, but in the spiritual realm. Lord, uh, we just want to see things from your point of view and respond to you. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen. Welcome to this three-part series that we're having in the month of December. It's entitled, Free from the Web of Relational Demonics. Let me begin this morning by going back 20 years. I'd been involved in a ministry situation where others had been involved as well. And during that ministry situation, uh, things did not go well with the, with the woman that was involved, that was seeking help. And I was talking to this person on the phone a day or two after, and, and things were really getting twisted, and, and things were really getting distorted. And uh, I felt like the tables were being turned on me, and uh, that false accusations were being made, and it, it was getting... It was getting quite, uh, quite messy. This uh, person, as I uh, had already known this person, and uh, as I got more involved in this situation, I made some observations. I noted that uh, she came across uh, super spiritual in her communication. Uh, she presented herself as one who is very mature in the Lord. Uh, her, her words were always uh, graced with and seasoned with uh, a lot of spiritual talk, a lot of references to God, a lot of uh, quoting of Scripture. I also observed that uh, she tended to, uh, to try to get in, uh, get in good, so to speak, get in the favor of, uh, of leadership uh, in our church. And uh, she sought to get the ear of leadership. And uh, she seemed to have their ear, and she seemed to have favor. But as I sat there at my desk that day, talking with her on the phone, I experienced something that I had never experienced before up until that time. The, the more we talked on the phone, uh, the more gripped my heart was with fear. I felt an unexplained anxiety. I felt an increasing confusion and an overall sapping of emotional and uh, physical strength. And, and by the time that the conversation was over, uh, I could hardly move. I could, I could hardly get up out of my chair. I eventually did, of course, and, and went home, and, and Mindy and I talked and prayed and, and uh, tried to survey what had been going on, because it was obvious that this person was in need, and we were trying to help her. And uh, it was a ministry team situation, and and uh, we were trying to be a part of the solution, but we just felt that at a particular point in the ministry session, things turned and uh, something manifested that I, that I knew was not her. And then there were subsequent uh, conversations, this being one that I'm referring to today on the telephone. But uh, in seeking the Lord, um, I was trying to determine where do I go from here? As Mindy and I prayed, the Lord began to share his light on the situation, shed his light on the situation, and, um, and we had some choices to make. Uh, it, it seemed that this person had favor with the leadership, and uh, she was attacking me, putting me in a bad light. Uh, I was not confident that the leadership uh, was united with me. 
uh, I, it felt like, maybe wrongly perceived, it felt like uh, she was almost being favored in terms of they were believing her. So it was like, okay, if I go after this, if I try to confront this issue uh, directly, if I try to go after her, so to speak, uh, in terms of trying to show where she was wrong, where she was not accurate, uh, then I could tell that I would be running the risk of, uh, of sabotaging myself and I could uh, end up getting myself fired. So uh, I thought, uh, Lord, what am I to do? Well, we continued to pray. We, began to see, uh, we continued to seek the Lord more and more. And as we did, the Lord brought out into the light that we were really dealing with uh, more than just the obvious of what was going on at face value, but uh, we were dealing with uh, demonic spirits and uh, can definitely, uh, definitely see the influence of a spirit of Jezebel uh, also working in concert with uh, witchcraft and other things. Now, the Lord is so faithful. He has been so faithful since I've surrendered my life to him to, to give insight. And sometimes he'll use someone else, like my wife or others, to bring things out into the light. But, but I want to encourage you that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And uh, it may be hard for a season. It may be challenging. You may get, uh, feel like you're getting beat up or, or hammered on, but uh, he, he will prevail. So wisely, we continued to pray. And uh, we continued to, uh, I continued to choose a path of humility and the fear of the Lord and not try to expose her. But as time went on, just prayed, Lord, I pray that you'll bring out into the light for your purposes, Lord, for your glory, what's going on. I, I pray that this person would come to repentance. Uh, I, I learned in a beginning way what it meant to, uh, to begin to settle things at the extreme because it did feel like uh, I could uh, eventually be fired if, uh, if things kept going the wrong direction. Uh, I, I'm not a man of compromise. I cannot compromise. Uh, so, but I had to be wise at the same time or I'd end up sabotaging myself. So how can I walk without compromise? How can I walk with integrity? But how can I walk with wisdom? More than one thing is true at the same time. And I was learning these things in the heat of an attack like never before. Well, this went on for years. We continued to pray, and, uh, and one thing that we noticed is uh, others began to see also. Uh, but it took time. Uh, it's been my experience, I don't want to dishearten you uh, when I say this, but it's been my experience that where a spirit of Jezebel has been involved, uh, that it has taken no less than seven years for this uh, spirit to be adequately exposed and for there to be a unified critical mass of leadership involved in the situation to take action, uh, either in relationship to this person and, and or the person leaving, whether it was in a church environment or whether it was in a relational scenario outside the church. No less than six years, or seven years rather, has been my experience. Now, I'm not trying to make that the number, but that's been my experience. But, but, but I think what that points out is that we must be patient. And uh, when we are being attacked uh, by this diabolical spirit, we must not respond defensively. We must not respond in like kind. We must not try to go after it alone or we will unnecessarily have mud on our face, sabotage ourselves, and be thought to be the bad guy. So we must walk with humility, must walk with the fear of the Lord, must pray, 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 intercede, and trust the Lord to build a critical mass, a consensus of unified leadership to both pray into and confront the situation. If that's in a corporate environment, Prayer might not be necessarily a part of the picture in a critical mass way. There may be those that are believers involved, 
But just so this person is seen for what he or she is, just so the truth comes out into the light, and hopefully, hopefully leading to the person changing, hopefully to them, leading to them repenting. But if they don't, if they don't, then they must be removed from the scene if they choose not to leave on their own. In other words, they must be asked to leave. We must be willing to take that kind of step. But the Lord's heart is always, 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 always repentance and restoration. But we must be courageous. We must be courageous. So that leads me to, uh, to the title of this session, Unmasking the Spirit of Jezebel, Unmasking the Spirit of Jezebel, and the theme verse for today, which is in Revelation 2.20, NIV version, where it says, Nevertheless, I have this against you, you tolerate the woman Jezebel. Let's take a closer look at that in uh, Revelation, the second chapter. Uh, as you're probably familiar, uh, different churches were being addressed in Revelation. The Lord was addressing those different churches. This is the church of Thyatira. To the angel of the church of Thyatira write, which is uh, chapter 2, verse 18, these are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds. So the Lord is addressing, the angel of the Lord is addressing this church. I know your deeds, your love, your faith, your service, your perseverance, and that you're now doing more than you did at first. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman, Jezebel. Now, what does that mean? What is that woman, Jezebel? We know back in 1 Kings, there was an actual historical couple, Ahab and Jezebel, that lived. Are we talking about that person? Are we talking about that person that lived years and years before? Because we're talking now, the last book of the Bible in Revelation. No, we're not talking about that actual person, but we're talking about the spirit the spirit of that person, the same, not the spirit of that physical person that lived, but the demonic spirit that characterized, that characterized the historical woman Jezebel, the demonic spirit, that the same demonic spirit that influenced, and more than one demon influenced Jezebel, the historical woman back in First King, more than one demon influenced her, but the spirit I'm talking about is the primary spirit that did influence her is the same one that's being referred to in Revelation. Now, on the positive side, we could, we could refer to Elijah. There was a historical figure called Elijah. But then the Bible refers in Malachi, the fourth chapter, the last book of the, the Old Testament, where it says in verse 5, Malachi 4, 5, See, I will send you the prophet Elijah. Well, well, the prophet Elijah had already lived and died and gone to heaven before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the, and the hearts of children to their fathers, or else I will come and strike the land with a curse. So what's being referred to there is one with the same spirit, of Elijah will be coming before the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we look ahead in uh, Matthew, we'll see who that was. Not a, re not a reincarnation of the historical uh, person, Elijah, but the same spirit. Now we're talking about on the positive side, though. A spirit of righteousness as opposed to a spirit of unrighteousness. A spirit of holiness versus a spirit of unholiness, which characterized Jezebel. So in Matthew 11, where Jesus is talking about John the Baptist, and in verse 11, 11, Matthew 11, 11, I tell you the truth, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist, 
Yet he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and forceful men lay hold of it. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So there was a historical person called Jezebel. But the primary demon that influenced her for purposes of our discussion today, we will say, is a spirit of Jezebel. And there was a historical person called Elijah. And as you've just heard me read, the same spirit, the same attitude, the same anointing, if I can say it this way, the, the, the same unholy anointing, the same unholy anointing that was on Jezebel is the same unholy anointing that's being referred to in Revelation and the same unholy anointing that unfortunately is too alive and well today on planet Earth. And the same holy anointing that was on the prophet Elijah was the same holy anointing that was on John the Baptist and that same holy anointing is on many of God's men and women today with that kind of prophetic, holy anointing, gifting, and mantle. So should it surprise us that just as in the days of old, Jezebel hated Elijah. There we have it, that unholy anointing of Jezebel hating that holy anointing of Elijah. And so it is today where there is an advance of the, of the prophetic on planet Earth, an advance of God's righteousness and of God's forthtelling of the truth. And as the eventual return of Jesus is approaching, and we know not when, but it is approaching, it's closer today than it was yesterday, we shouldn't be surprised that as that holy anointing of the prophetic is becoming more uh, obvious and clear on planet Earth today, we shouldn't be surprised that there is also the commensurate unholy anointing, demonic unholy anointing of Jezebel also rising up today. As I see, as I observe on planet Earth, I see many things that give indication to this. Jezebel, the historical figure, if you look at the meaning of her name, it meant un unhusbanded, unhusbanded, unhusband, and then add an ed at the end. In other words, she was not going to be under anybody's authority. No husband was going to be her head. She worshipped Baal. And Baal worship included sacrifices, even living human sacrifices to false gods. What do I see on planet Earth today? By the millions, babies are being aborted on the altar of convenience and lust. And then as I look across planet Earth today, Instead of celebrating God's design for men and for women and marriage and family, it's almost like in reaction to the abuses of men, and there have been many, the pendulum has gone so far the other way that now we're not celebrating men at all. And we have a unisex society. And men are like eunuchs. They're, they're, they're emasculated. They're passive so many times. Not everybody, not all, but passive men and controlling wives so often is the case. Not everybody, not all, which was true of a, the, the, his, the, the historical figures of, a, of Ahab and Jezebel for sure. Ahab being passive, abdicating his authority, and, and Jezebel being controlling and, and manipulative and guilty of witchcraft and and, and maybe not in that uh, uh, extreme of, of a degree, but so many marriages today 
or so many male-female relationships today are characterized by those dynamics of weak men and controlling women. Not, no condemnation on anybody. That's not where I'm coming from. Because God loves people. He died for us. He didn't come to condemn. He came to save and to have us enter into the beauty of his plan, to celebrate men, to celebrate women. Scott Ferriking made a uh, statement months ago, because we have a women's ministry here called Women Ablaze. And Scott made the statement that when men come alive, because that's the name of the men's ministry, man alive. When men come alive, women will come ablaze all the more. But we live in such a unisex society, it's almost like you've got to apologize to celebrate a man. Because it might send the wrong message to a woman. But I know that that's because there's, so, there's been so many abuses. There's been so much in, in the way of wrong done toward women, where they've been used and abused, and, and men have been so full of lust, and they've presumed upon women, and they haven't cherished and honored women the way God wants them to. So I really believe that a lot of what's involved in women rising up and, and saying, I want to be treated fairly, or I want to have more of a say, or I want to be valued more, I think a lot of that is in response to the real wrongs that have been done by men against women. So it's kind of like, men, if you don't like it, we've brought it on ourselves. But let's do something about it. But I believe that behind the scenes, Jezebel loves to conquer and divide. Jezebel wants men to be a bunch of eunuchs, just like the eunuchs that surrounded her when Jahab, Jehu, Jehu came on that day that I'll refer to a little bit later. She was surrounded by, it was kind of like, you know, she was married to a passive man, Ahab, and isn't it, isn't it such a, an accurate picture that when Jehu, King Jehu, came that day to carry out the edict of the Lord to destroy her, isn't it ironic, isn't it so, it's so appropriate that she was surrounded by eunuchs, which are men that, are, that don't have the ability to reproduce. In other words, they're like gildings. They're emasculated, and so it is on planet Earth. Abortion by the millions on the altar of lust and convenience. Men emasculated, weak, and then even, even in the church, what's our goal? For the men to be nice. If you're nice, you're more spiritual. Well, I'm not saying we should be mean, but a man who's nice and never rocks the boat is not going to be a leader. Lead, leadership polarizes sometimes. I should, I'm not saying we should do it on purpose just to stir the pot and get everybody all stirred up. But righteous leadership polarizes. Jesus Christ was the perfect example. When he walked on planet Earth, they either loved him or hated him. They either loved him or hated him. And obviously the ones that hated him crucified him. But he wasn't a victim. He came to do the will of the Father. So there's a central theme in terms of where I'm going today and where I'm coming from. And I pray that the, one of the chief outcomes, the dual outcome of this session today will be Jezebel will be exposed, unmasked, seen for what she is, and that we will leave here with an attitude compelled we will not tolerate. We will not tolerate this spirit. This spirit that works in concert with witchcraft, that works in concert with other demon spirits on planet Earth. This spirit that seeks to uh, see prophets be brought down, to see pastors uh, put on the shelf, to see businesses put in disarray, to see God's plan and God's purposes and God's design be turned upside down and, and, and divided. Because this spirit wants control. Well, what, who does that remind us of? Going way back, way back. Who wanted to be as the Most High? Who wanted to be in control? Who hates the glory of God? That is the truest thing about this spirit or any spirit. They're all liars, they're all deceivers, and you think, 
How can it be? How can this happen? How can the church of the living God be deceived? Well, it just points out we've got to have, we've got to be filled with the right stuff. We've got to be filled with the right one. And if there's a leadership vacuum on the inside of us, Namely, the Lord Jesus is not our Lord and Savior. Our love and our life, our desire and our passion and our everything, then there is going to be opportunity for, opportunity for the right one, excuse me, the wrong one, to fill that gap. But you know how the enemy tends to deal with us. Because we've got the power. We've got the authority. He doesn't use that against us because he knows we've got greater power and authority. We are in union with the one who is all power and authority. He uses deception. How can it be? How can it be? Well, if we aren't filled overflowing, if we've got a leadership vacuum, if we have a void, if we're loving the world and the things of this world more than Jesus, if there's someone other than him, that is our desire. If we have unresolved issues in our hearts, if we're not walking in forgiveness, if we're not walking in humility and the fear of the Lord, we're going to be vulnerable. We are going to be vulnerable. What characterizes, if I could say more, what characterizes this spirit in addition to what I've said? Reviewing and adding to. Flattery. Flattery and persuasive. Control and manipulation. You won't find this in your notes, so if it's too much of a distraction to write this down, then please consider getting the tape and taking more time to soak. Trying to get close to leadership, that's another element. They love to get in with those that have the authority to buddy up to them. And you know what makes, them, you know what makes this possible? Is unfortunately, unfortunately, many leaders are weak. Many leaders are insecure both in the business place and the church place and every place, insecure or weak, and they like to be served. So somebody comes along and wants to serve them. They have gifting, maybe not the character, but they've got the gifting. The person's feeling insecure. Maybe things are sliding in the business in terms of the numbers. Maybe church attendance is slipping a little bit. People are leaving, all this kind of stuff. And here's somebody that wants to help, and that you know you're kind of feeling, kind of feeling insecure anyway. And but it's weakness. It's weakness. It's not courageous leadership. It's curable, but I'm just trying to call it what it is, so that we can see how can this happen. I get nervous when I hear a leader say that they say in so many words that they want to be served, because the the leader that I know and worship is the one who came not to be served but to serve us so i do not want anybody to i don't want i don't want to call people to myself i don't want to um, uh, have people serve me i mean if they have an attitude of serving then so be it i mean we're surrounded by servant people but it's not what i'm looking for it's not what i want it's not what i want to engender i want to serve you I'd rather serve you than have you serve me, but I'll be a gracious receiver because becoming fully alive and free is free to give, free to receive, free to love, free to be loved, but I'd rather love than be loved. I'd rather serve than be served. But there are many leaders that love to be served. It's dangerous. It's dangerous. In their insecurity, they love to have cheerleaders around them. They love to have people keeping them going, keeping them propped up. And it's almost like they're using each other. Because the person that wants to get in with the leader loves the status of getting in with the leader. And the leader loves to be served. So the leader's using them and the one that's serving is using the leader. I mean, it's using each other. Undermining authority is another characteristic. Misuse of authority. Sowing of discord, slander. And one thing I have noticed and I have been amazed because I not only have had a number of experiences, one of which I mentioned, where this spirit, this diabolical spirit, has worked in the situation, but I'm still involved in at least one situation where this is going on. The, the influence of this spirit is still at work. And one thing I've noticed in all of the situations, they are very skilled at getting their way. 
Line also characterizes those that are influenced by this spirit. Accusation, intimidation, secrecy. And then something that goes along with what I had mentioned earlier. The person, a person that's being influenced by this spirit tends to uh, generate a dependency uh, from those around them. Uh, a spiritual and emotional dependency. They like people dependent on them. They, the, the people, the person, the leaders that are influenced by this spirit, like they don't want people around them that are too strong. Thus, you can see why Jezebel hates Elijah. Because a prophet is a forth teller, a proclaimer of the truth without fear, though we see, we will see how even Elijah ran. But Jezebel hates prophets, hates the prophetic, not just foretelling, but foretelling of the truth, living and, and uh, proclaiming, foretelling. So one influenced by the spirit of Jezebel, if I can say it this way, would rather have weak people around them because they want to be in charge and they want to feel like they're the best and that nobody around them is better at doing anything because that'll bump them. They want to be the star. And then they'll engender others. They like people dependent upon them. It's, it's, it's part of the web. And then um, another characteristic is uh, of, of one influenced by the Spirit is framing another person for a wrong done, which they were not, the other person was not guilty of, but they'll frame them. Turning the tables when confronted is another common practice. You know, you've heard me give a teaching in the past on uh, free to confront, and it's so common in relationships that so many of us say, I hate confrontation, I hate confronting, and I hate being confronted. You know it's hard on us anyway. I know what it's like to be confront. I know what it's like to confront someone with the spirit of witchcraft, the spirit of Jezebel influenced, and then witchcraft was a part of it. Didn't know it for sure at the time of confrontation. By the time the confrontation was over, I knew. I thought, my, it was just amazing how the tables were turned, and it was just like a web. And it was. It is a demonic web. And you walk away thinking that you're the bad guy. You, you walk away thinking you're the one that's wrong. And, and you end up, because, you know, often the tears will start flowing. They'll use tears and oh, they'll, you know, false humility and the victim. And by the time you get done, you're apologizing to them. And they're the ones that were wrong. And you were trying to, out of love and obedience to the Lord, confront them. But they turn the table, spin it on you start sucking you into their web, and you feel like the guilty one. Confused and bewildered and wondering, what, 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 what happened back there? Well, there's a tragic encounter that I'd like to read. Uh, this is a book that's uh, been a great help. Uh, one of my resources in uh, preparing this three-part series, uh, John Paul Jackson, Unmasking the Jezebel Spirit, and let me read something on page 137 to help illustrate part of what I've shared so far. This is entitled, The Tragic Encounter. Shortly after his 40th birthday, Martin was meeting with a couple from his church. He was convinced they operated with a Jezebel spirit. It was their second meeting, and Martin had invited the elders. Although the first meeting had been volatile, Martin was prepared for this confrontation. He was determined the couple would not make him look so bad, although they had threatened to do so. Secretly, Martin hated confrontation. He avoided it. But he remembered two other occasions when he had failed to address this issue, and the results had been devastating. Two church splits. The last one had cost Martin his position at a large, prestigious church in another state. Martin made a resolve that he would never let such a thing happen again. He would snuff out any nonsense before it got worse. 
Tonight, the elders would witness this couple's hostile personal agenda just as he had in their previous meeting. Two hours later, Martin sat with his face buried in his hands. He was deeply frustrated. Nothing had changed. No admission of guilt had been made by the couple. Furthermore, they showed no remorse for their actions. Instead, they acted coy and innocent. They even accused Martin of misunderstanding their words and actions. During the meeting, the couple often said they were only trying to serve the Lord. With tears running down their faces, they reminded Martin and the elders of all the times that they had helped him in the church. Soft-spoken and seemingly humble, the couple questioned Martin's motives and, and claimed he was turning a mountain into a molehill. They had turned the tables on Martin. Listening to them, Martin even became confused and began to wonder if they were right. Perhaps his own fear and insecurity drove him to, to the point of pointing the finger at them. After the couple left, the elders further probed Martin about his accusations. They began to side with the couple. They also speculated about the reason for Martin's changes, or charges rather, his charges against the couple. Martin saw doubt creep into the faces of the elders. They were puzzled. They were puzzled about his discernment and his leadership skills. Three months later, the couple stood, if you can imagine this, this is absolutely mind-boggling. Three months later, the couple stood up during the church service and demanded Martin's resignation. They listed their reasons and worded their accusations as if God had spoken. When Martin refused to resign, they shouted, Ichabod, meaning the glory has departed from Israel. Then they marched out of the church. Eighty church members filed out with them. Two months later, Martin took a sabbatical. Sadly, he never returned to ministry again. It happens all the time. I know what it's like to face it. I know the temptation of quitting. God was so, is and was, and always will be so kind to me. Blessing me with a wise, discerning wife. Surrounding me with wise, discerning, committed, praying friends. That's what it's going to take. If you try to handle it alone, you're in trouble. It's so sad. It's, it's happening all the time. In churches, in families, in businesses, all over the world. And one of the reasons why I wanted to bring this to you today is that freedom, becoming fully alive, I mean, we can't leave this out. Yes. We need to be responsible. Yes, we need to walk in humility and the fear of the Lord. Yes, we need to get the arrows out. Yes, we need to know who we are in Christ. Yes, 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 taking personal responsibility. But sometimes there's something going on and we don't understand what's going on. Why leave it out? How can I leave it out? For sons and daughters to be equipped to live. Because we are in a war. And the war is for our hearts. So we must address these things. Well, let's go back to another story. This one in the Bible. It's a representative incident. Let's turn to 1 Kings, the 21st chapter. Naboth's vineyard. Chapter 21, verse 1. Sometimes later, sometime later, there was an incident involving a vineyard belonging to Naboth the Jezreelite. The vineyard, excuse me, the, the vineyard was in Jezreel, close to the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. Ahab said to Naboth, Let me have your vineyard to use for a vegetable garden since it is close to my palace. 
In exchange, I will give you a better vineyard, or if you prefer, I'll pay you whatever it's worth. But Naboth replied, the Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers. We could take some time talking about that, but that's, that's for another time, perhaps. So Ahab went home, sullen and angry, because Naboth the Jezreelite had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. He lay, he, referring to Ahab, lay on his bed, sulking, refusing to eat. His wife Jezebel came in and asked, asked him, why are you so sullen? Why won't you eat? He answered her, because I said to Naboth the Jezreelite, sell me your vineyard, or if you prefer, I'll give you another vineyard in its place. But he said, I will not give you my vineyard. And Jezebel, his wife, said, is this how you act as king over Israel? Get up and eat. Cheer up. I'll get you the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. So she wrote letters in Ahab's name, placed his seal on them, sent them to the elders and the nobles who lived in Naboth's city with him. And in those letters she wrote, Proclaim a day of fasting and seat Naboth in a prominent place among the people, but sit two scoundrels opposite him and have them testify that he has cursed both God and king. Then take him out and stone him to death. So the elders and the nobles who lived in Naboth city did as Jezebel directed in the letter she had written to them. They proclaimed a fast and seated Naboth in a prominent place among the people. Then two scoundrels came, sat opposite of him, brought charges against Naboth before the people, saying, Naboth has cursed both God and king. So they took him outside the city, stoned him to death, and then they sent word to Jezebel. Naboth has been stoned, and he is dead. As soon as Jezebel heard that, that Naboth had been stoned to death, she said to Ahab, get up and take possession of the vineyard. The vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite that refused to sell it to you. He is no longer alive, but dead. When Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, he got up and went down to take possession of Naboth's vineyard. A representative incident. I won't take the time now, but I pray between now and next week, you'll look up all the scriptures in this outline, and you'll see some of the historical background about how Ahab got connected with Jezebel to begin with and, what, and how that led to her, not blaming her because he was responsible. He was the head of his marriage. He was the head, the king, but he allowed her to influence him in such a way that he did all manner of evil, worshiping false gods, etc. So here we have the representative incident. Ahab wanted it. He wanted the vineyard, but Naboth declined. He became sullen and angry and refused to eat. He abdicated his authority because he let her take over. And she did. She took matters into her own hands. Notice how she went about it, calling a fast, religion, a religious twist, if you will. She usurped her husband's authority and act, acted in his name. Well, how did God respond? He commissioned and anointed King Jehu to destroy the house of Ahab and avenge the blood of the prophets and the blood of the Lord's servants, servants shed by Jezebel. You'll see in those accounts that are listed there that that's exactly what happened. Ahab was killed, his household was killed, and, and then let me read the account, though, of, uh, of uh, King Jehu coming for Jezebel. And that's in 2 Kings, the ninth chapter. He was a newly anointed king. Ahab was dead. And he was commissioned to destroy the house of Ahab and to destroy Jezebel because of what she had done, which included shedding the blood of the prophets and the servants of the Lord. So we pick it up in 2 Kings chapter 9, verse 30. 
Then Jehu went to Jezreel. Jezreel. When Jezebel heard about it, notice this. She painted her eyes, painted her eyes, arranged her hair, and looked out a window. There's that spirit of seduction. As Jehu entered the gate, he asked, she asked rather, have you come in peace, Zimri, you murderer of your master? He looked up at the window and called out, who is on my side? Who? Two or three eunuchs looked down on him. Throw her down, Jehu said. So they threw her down, and some of her blood spattered the wall and the horses as they trampled her underfoot. Jehu went in, ate and drank. Take care of that cursed woman, he said, and bury her, for she was a, for she was a king's daughter. But when, but when they went out to bury her, they found nothing except her skull, her feet, and her hands. They went back and told Jehu, who said, This is the word of the Lord, that he spoke through his servant Elijah the Tishbite. On the plot of ground at Jezreel, dogs will devour Jezebel's flesh. Jezebel's body will be like refuse on the ground in the plot at Jezreel, so that no one will be able to say, This is Jezebel. So I've tried to paint a picture of what this diabolical spirit is like. This diabolical spirit that works in concert with spirits like witchcraft, spirit of religion, manipulation, lust, perversion. How did God respond? We've seen his response of judgment. How did Ahab respond to her? He was passive. He abdicated his authority. How did Elijah, the prophet, respond? We see the reference in your outline where he ran. And some of the symptoms that were described in that, I can identify with when I've come under the attack of a spirit of Jezebel. He ran, and in his case, as you'll read, he even came to the point where he didn't want to live anymore. It was that heavy. It was that hard. So the question is, what is our response going to be? As I mentioned before, I'm still in process, and I've still got at least one person in my life who is influenced by a spirit of Jezebel. So I'm still learning. And I think as long as we're on planet Earth, we need to be aware and enlightened and be a part of the solution. I pray that you don't respond to this session by looking around and trying to label all the Jezebels around you and take that approach. Because every controlling, manipulative, lying person that you know isn't necessarily influenced by a spirit of Jezebel. So we need discernment as to when this applies, if it applies. How can we respond in a beginning way? I would say this, pray, pray, pray. Be willing, to be, of no rep be willing to be of no reputation. Walk in humility and the fear of the Lord. Don't go after this spirit alone. And you must build a critical mass of unity to deal with it if it's going to be confronted. You must be willing to, if it's in a church situation, there must be a willingness to eventually ask this person to leave. It doesn't necessarily mean that you ever say to them, I think you got a spirit of Jezebel because the nature of their wounds and the nature of the unresolved issues would probably not allow them to hear that well. So it's going to take an approach which is firm. It's going to take an approach that's confrontive. It's going to take an approach that's love-filled, redemptive in its attitude and nature. Uh, we cannot take the option, though, of just tolerating it. I've seen so much devastation. And I know God is in charge of those that have been devastated by this spirit, but it, it breaks my heart to see the devastation that I have seen. But I'm thankful and I'm trusting the Lord to help all of those who have been devastated and that God will bring them to light for them to receive the help and the care and the prayer and the healing that he has for them. You know, sometimes you're in a situation where you see it 
but you don't have the authority to do anything about it positionally. One thing that John Paul Jackson points out again and again is that prophets are not the ones to deal with Jezebel to remove Jezebel, but the purpose of the prophets or the discerning ones, if you will, are to help the pastors or the leaders to see. But it's got to be the pastor or the king or the head of a company, somebody that has the authority, the pastor, the king, the president, the one in charge with the authority has to be the one to ultimately confront this person and either have them removed or enter into a process of their restoration. It's kind of ironic, isn't it? Which makes it really challenging because those of us with prophetic giftings, like in my case, I have discernment, but I'm also in the role of a pastor, but I'm not the lead pastor, so if I see a particular situation that I don't necessarily have the authority, Steve Peterson, to remove that person or confront it. So now what do I do? I need to do just exactly what we all can do. Pray, not gossip, pray, intercede, trust the Lord to build a critical mass of unity that's solution-oriented, not to think of this person as a throwaway, always thinking redemptively. So Lord, bring it out into the light, expose them for, the, for them to be seen for what they are, who they are. May it come to repentance, but if they don't repent, then Lord, lead them on or orchestrate the leaders involved having the courage to remove this person. But one thing that's not an option, we cannot tolerate Jezebel. Submit to God, resist the devil, give thanks, pray that God uses it for his good and his purposes in our lives, the lives of others. It's another thing that's so valuable about this series of freedom that you're in because part of what I think and I, part of what I hope you're learning and how God's working in you is as you come to know who you are as sons and daughters more and more clearly and uh, your sons and daughters now and forever and as you increasingly know who you are and your authority in the Lord and he's getting the arrows out and your confidence in Christ is increasing and your, the faith of the Son of God in you is rising up and you're not trying to control the situation but you're willing to submit to the sovereign God and let him do whatever he wants to do to mold and shape you into his image. And part of how I settled it at the extreme, going back to the first story that I told, is that I had to settle it at the extreme where I said, okay, Lord, if I get fired, that's the extreme, okay? So to speak, in terms of consequences, not that there, were, not that there wouldn't be worse consequences at that, but that's just an example settling the whole issue of the temptation of, I'm, I think I'm going to get fired. I might get fired before this is over. Okay, settle it at the extreme. If I get fired, it's a promotion. Because you've got something better for me, Lord. I don't want to sabotage myself. I don't want to victimize myself. You know, you, a person can do that, you know. But I'm going to settle it at the extreme, but I'm not going to be a spiritual wimp. I'm not going to compromise I'm not going to be guilty of fear of man, but Lord, I need to be wise, and I need to walk in humility the fear of the Lord. And in the situation that I started with, I can't mention their name, obviously, it's not important, but it took seven years for a critical mass of leadership to be brought about, and this person was eventually dealt with. I don't know what, how they're doing today. I want God's best for them, but God orchestrated in such a way that he brought it to a head. And uh, they're no longer in our midst. So those, those are sad because I would rather have repentance. I think the Lord would rather have repentance. He'd rather have change. You know, it's not his goal to get rid of somebody. It's his goal to save, redeem, and set us free. What would make a person vulnerable to this influence, uh, to more vulnerable to the influence of this kind of spirit? As I've mentioned earlier, insecurity can make you more vulnerable to attack. Unresolved wounds and uh, hurts can make you more vulnerable. 
uh, pride, self-sufficiency, a survivor mindset can make you vulnerable of this spirit getting entrenched in your life and more. We'll talk more about that during the question and answer time. But as we go on to the two weeks to come in our mini-series, we're going to talk next week about being free from the web of witchcraft, which is one of the main uh, spirits that Jezebel works in concert with. And then the final week of this three-part series, we'll talk about living free with divine immunity. You know, we can be free. We can be free. It doesn't mean I'll never get hit again. It doesn't mean that I'll never be attacked again. But uh, the things that God has done in me, and he's still doing more, I want him to do in you, so that when you get in or around or have to deal with Jezebel and spirits of the like, it doesn't submarine you. It doesn't have any effect on you, per se. And if it does, it's minor. It's like getting slimed. It's like getting contaminated. You pray. You have others pray for yourself. You get a spiritual bath, a spiritual cleansing, and you're, you're, you're ready to go on. But you don't get submarine. That's how the Lord wants us to live. Always learning, always growing. But we can live with a divine immunity. We can live in the shelter of the Most High. We can live with the armor of God on because he is the armor. And it does, it's not a pride thing, but, it, but it's, like, it's like you can be, and, and you know, every day is a walk, and you walk in humility and the fear of the Lord, but you can be bulletproof. Not with pride, not with presumption, but it's like you have that kind of confidence. You have that kind of faith. You have that kind of certainty. You have that kind of revelation, and you're not looking for a fight. And you're not saying, oh, shoot at me, enemy. Take another shot at me. You can't hurt me. No, I'm not talking about a Samson attitude. But there's such a confidence. You just have a sense of divine immunity. Better than a vaccination. But the life of Christ is our immunity. But what makes it so? It's walking in all these things that we're talking about in freedom. The 21 session series, plus these supplemental sessions, are all geared toward responding to, I know what it's like not to be free. I know what it's like to be free. What we're talking about, what we're discussing, is what it takes to be free. And you can be free. Thank you, Lord, for your love, for your life, for your deliverance for revelation, for wisdom, for discernment, not for our sake, not to feed pride, not to be arrogant, not to think we're better, not feeding some kind of elitism in the body of Christ. We need each other. We need each other. We need eyes to see. We need ears to hear. We need hands to work. We need all of the parts of the body. Join us together more and more, Lord with a Holy Spirit interdependency that leads to a divine immunity from this diabolical Jezebel that through her witchcraft and manipulation wants to destroy marriages, wants there to be more fatherless children, that wants more to be sacrificed on the altar of, of, of abortion through convenience and lust wants more companies disrupted, wants more pride and arrogance to flow, more greed. But we say no in Jesus' name. We will not tolerate this in Jesus' name. We will, one by one, one person at a time, we will be a part of the solution, not a part of the problem. In Jesus' name. Amen.